It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week we look at sports topics locally, some nationally. Um, we have a gambling segment that we uh, we we rather enjoy. We're not really very good at it, but we rather enjoy it. And of you did course, good uh, this past week. I did. That's what I understand. Almost hit my three-team money line parlay. And of course, my favorite segment of the show when you can ask me any question on any topic. It doesn't have to be sports. It can be literally anything. And I will try my best to give you an answer. All right, Rick, how we doing is uh, you are neck deep in college basketball. Are you getting any sleep these days? You are a busy man working for Local 12 on the digital side in news, doing uh, NKU games on on radio. I know you missed a game this past weekend. And uh, also, obviously, covering Xavier for uh, for 24-7. I mean, you <laughs> are you getting any sleep at this point? Uh, you you got to be careful when you say I, I missed a game. People think I just slept through it because of my overnight shift. It well, got, yeah, it no, got yeah, you knocked did. because yeah, of that, coronavirus. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, we that's were, correct. it was uh, canceled. But um, here's the issue with this year. Normally, I'm like a... Uh, I hearken back to the hunter gatherer times of our ancestors. I can go days without sleeping and then I like store it all up and I, I sneak it in on that day where I don't have anything going on. Well, the issue with that this year is no one knows what the schedule is. That, so exactly. randomly we're now, you know, there's like, Hey, you might be traveling on Friday, five hours away to another state for an NKU game that you didn't know about. Or, or you might have, or you might've packed your bags and guess what? You're not going. Right, exactly. So it that that is making it a bit tough uh, this week. I thought Thanksgiving week was going to be the bad one, but then that game got canceled on Saturday in uh, Chattanooga. So now this week is seemingly becoming the tough one for me. So we'll we'll get through it. We're good. I says at, le- at least your game prep for tonight's NKU game, as we do this on a Thursday morning, isn't very hard because you just watched the team that they're going to play last night. It certainly made it a little bit easier. Yeah, getting to see Tennessee Tech in action against the Musketeers helps out with the NKU pregame. And really, that's where we'll start this podcast. The Crosstown shootout is finally upon us. Xavier will make the short trip across town on Sunday afternoon, take on the Bearcats at Fifth Third Arena for a 3 p.m. tip. UC is 1-0 after Wednesday night season opening win over Lipscomb, while Xavier is 5-0 with wins over Oakland, Bradley, Toledo, EKU, and Tennessee Tech on Wednesday night. Skinny, how big of an advantage is it to play five games versus one here to start the season, in your opinion? I mean, because that's a a unique situation we've never really had for, I don't know if that's ever really happened, but certainly not for a rivalry game of this magnitude. How big of a factor do you think that is that Xavier's already snuck in five games here in such a short amount of time while UC hasn't really played? I think it's huge, Um, and I think you saw that. I think UC... Um, scuffled at times with Lipscomb and understandably so. I mean, I know probably there's some fans out there that are alarmed by that and, and I wouldn't be. I mean, you just you have no chance to evaluate your rotation yet, work young guys in yet. Um, you know, you want to have a game and then and then go back to practice to fix some of the stuff and have another game to go back to practice and fix some more stuff and have another game to go back to practice and fix more stuff. Well, Xavier's been able to do that. And it feels like Xavier now is kind of settled into what their rotation is and, and they kind of settled into that in game one. Um, and, and, and maybe a little bit lesser. So for Deontay miles from a minute's perspective, but for the most part, they, they've kind of now settled into what the roles are, who's supposed to do what, who's capable of doing what, who the offense is going to go through at, at certain times. Um, and, and for UC, I, it just doesn't feel that way. And, and maybe some of it is Keith Williams didn't have a great game in the opener. They what, shot two of 10 from the field. And I think he was only three of six at the line. Um, and you expect more from him. 
but I just don't know where the points come consistently when UC needs a bucket right now. And, and I, I might know that in two more weeks. I might know that in, in three more weeks, but I just don't know if I'm going to know that after one game. So I, I, I do. I think it's big. Well, and it's funny because I was, you know, UC in their opener, they had to play a, a Lipscomb team that had already played two games as well. So they were kind of at that disadvantage right off the bat to start their season. I think, like you said, you saw that for Lipscomb. It worked in their favor because UC was kind of, still getting in the flow of things guys were throwing shots a few feet long because of the extra adrenaline I think of just getting on the court for the first time and you're facing a veteran team that's playing a, a zone defense with a unique style to a, a difficult a difficult first game for UC to try to get a tune-up going here before Xavier and then on the flip side you know you mentioned that opportunity to play games then practice see what you got you know retool and, and get back to it while Xavier has had the opportunity to play a bunch of games here, they really haven't been able to practice a whole lot, you know, because you play three games in three straight days. You have a, your, your little weekend, you come back, you play on a, a Wednesday night, and then you got a short turnaround into the weekend again. So they'll get a few days of practice, but a lot of that's, you know, recovery. It's not like they're really getting after it. In yeah, but, but, but I think as a coach, it gives you a chance, though, to even retool mentally of, okay, I saw this. I didn't like what we did here. I'm going to scrap that but I, I like what we did there and I want to do more of that. I think, yeah, that, that's the point too, is Definitely. as a coach, you can do some of that stuff. So yeah. Um, I, I just think it's big. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a clear cut advantage. It doesn't mean definitively Xavier wins on, on Sunday and we'll get to that here in a minute, but I do think it's an advantage for X for sure. Yeah. Totally agree with you there that it is a big advantage, but it's not necessarily a deciding factor. What and, is? And, and I'll go back. I, I always love the, the first game that, that, that when I, my team goes and plays and I always warn the kids, I, you know, I'm not a big make them run guy just to run. I do, you know, punishment running for lack of a better term, if it's a drill and one team beats the other. Um, and I feel like you can get your condition. If you're practicing hard, I don't have a lot of staying around. I feel like you can get conditioning. So I don't like just to run, but I always tell the players, I said, you ain't going to know that that first game, you're going to make about four or five trips up and down the court. Think you're in condition and look over at me and go, I'm gassed. So I I'm sure that's kind of the UC thing. You're right. The heart rates up and the jump shots you're shooting in practice are shot at a different heart rate. I mean, there's just a lot of factors involved with that first game. Yep. What is your biggest concern about each team heading into this game? I think it's for Xavier. It's if that combination of Nate Johnson, Paul Scruggs and, and, and Kiki Tandy shoot less than 30% on threes. I think they're in trouble because I think they need at least a couple of those guys to be making shots in games. I think we've come to the point for Xavier where you just realize Jason Carter is a pretty much a non-factor offensively. Now I think he's rebounded the ball really well and he's doing some of those things and he guards. Okay. Um, I think Zach Fremantle is a really talented offensive kid. He struggles a little bit on the defensive end, but I think for me, it's, you, you can't have two of those three and certainly not all three of those three be in the tank shooting the basketball. And for, for UC, I guess it's where, and they had nice balance against Lipscomb, but I also need to know who's getting me a bucket when I need a bucket. Am I playing through Chris Vote? Am I playing through Ivan Auskis? Am I playing through Keith Williams? Am I going to let DeJulius do, do it? Although he's not really a huge score. He's kind of more of a glue guy. And that's fine. It's not a knock. He had a nice night in the opener. Where, where are they getting the bucket from? Those are my concerns for each. Yeah, I, starting with UC first, piggybacking off of what you said, it's interesting because I think DeJulius would like to be the go-to type guy. I think that's what he's kind of always been in his mind is a scorer and you know an offensive threat. I was a little shocked by the lack of usage in the, in the first game from him. I thought he would come out a little more guns a-blazing 
considering the guys around him and considering that Keith Williams got in early foul trouble and, uh, and, he, and, he, and factor. Yeah. And he played 34 minutes and only took seven shots. So it's not like he didn't play many minutes. He played a bunch of minutes and just didn't shoot it much. Right. Right. That, that surprised me a little bit. Um, and you know, the Keith Williams thing, I mean, he got in foul trouble. It's the first game. I'm not concerned about Keith Williams yet. Oh, I, I, I'm, but... not, I'm not, I'm not either, but you, I, I don't think against good teams, you can have Keith Williams do that and beat many good teams. Well, and let's face it. There is the kind of, I mean, we talked about in the off season is Keith Williams a, a go-to guy. Is he Batman or is he really always best as a Robin? You know, as he, he, we've never seen him be the go-to guy on a team It's similar situation for Paul Scruggs at Xavier and in Xavier's situation, I think Paul Scruggs is still going to be that secondary guy. I think you very clearly have Zach Fremantle, who's your go-to guy. And even after him, Kiki Tandy is probably your next go-to option on offense. For UC, like you said, who's that go-to guy? It probably needs to be Keith Williams. Is he capable of doing it? One game against Lipscomb where he got in foul trouble doesn't dictate no, that. I, tell I us. And no, I'm not saying agree. I'm not saying you're right. saying that. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think some fans probably got real concerned about it. That doesn't tell us enough. But it's it's a question still. I mean, he hasn't proven it yet, so it's still definitely a question, something to be concerned about. I think you bring up a good point there. If the answer is vote, I think that's a problem because anytime it's it's a big man who's not like a, a face up big man who can create his own look. I think that's pretty easy to take away, especially in a late game scenario where you got to get a bucket, you know? So I'm uh, that's something I'm looking at for sure with UC. On the Xavier side, I, I agree with your point about shooting. You got to get enough of it from those guys. But I think specifically for this game, the big thing that, that concerns me with Xavier is the point guard position. Juan Odom has been pretty damn good in four out of the five games Xavier has played so far, especially when it comes to taking care of the ball. In fact, he's been stunningly good for a freshman point guard playing his first minutes that didn't have any scrimmages, exhibitions, anything like that to to get loosened up and and comfortable with the position. And his decision-making. Right, yeah, he's been great with that. But there was that one game against EKU where he looked shell-shocked, he turned the ball over eight times, and it happened to be against a team that was pressing the whole game. Now, Cincinnati's not going to necessarily press you the whole game, and it's not a system like EKU's where they're selling all the way out for steals nonstop, but they'll play a little run and jump, but that's always been something John Brandon's done. They showed a little bit of it last night. They can apply some pressure. They, they want to get the pace moving a little bit. That could be a concern for Xavier, I think, in this one. If Dwan Odom gets into some trouble early, starts turning the ball over, and gets in a rut like he did against EKU – Xavier didn't have a secondary option against EKU. Paul Scruggs made bad decisions, had a bunch of turnovers, didn't play all that well. And Kiki Tandy just really hasn't shown the ability to be a point guard to this point. So I think the point guard position for me is a little bit of a concern in this game. If if the moment is a little bit too big for Dwan, which I'm not saying it will be because he's a special type of player and I could very easily see him having a big game here against UC because I don't know that UC's point guard position is dominant or locked down or solidified yet but that is a concern i would have for xavier is what happens if Dwan odom doesn't play well yeah the 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 other part too is i I think zach freeman is a matchup nightmare because i i don't know does chris vote guard him out on the floor that's that's a bit of a problem for uc i think how do they match up with zach freeman and and maybe it's one of the athletic forwards off the bench terry eason or mamadou diara but those guys don't give you much other, other than the athleticism and fouling yeah, and I'm sure that's probably what you're going to do at some point. But uh, you know, it, at some stages of the game, I mean, can Ivan Auskis guard him? Can 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 Chris Vote, like I said, guard him out on the floor? And if you choose somebody else, does he then take them down in the post? I, I think 
to me, the just just being able to watch games, and I've watched a lot of them with the sound down, which makes you kind of watch it with a different perspective. I've been doing you know work, and it's been great that some of those games were on during the day while I was working last week. I, I swear, every time Zach Fremantle touches the basketball, I feel like he's the, the ball's going in the bucket. I mean, whether it's a face up three, whether it's a, a face up jumper in the lane, whether it's backing a guy down for a jump hook off the glass. Um, I, he just has that skill set that I think makes him a really difficult matchup for a lot of people. Well, and Xavier's done a really good job of retooling their offense this year where they, you know, it's called a short roll. It's kind of become a basketball buzz term, but it's basically just doing a pick and roll, but not rolling all the way to the rim. You, you roll and you throw it to your big man real quick where he's kind of in that mid range area still. Right. So he's got someone and, in space and he's really good at it. And that, and that's exactly, that's why they retooled their offense because him and Jason Carter, that's how they play. And he is so good at making decisions in that spot. And that's exactly where, you know, you bring, whether it's Chris vote, who's not great at guarding away from the rim in that regard, or even like Diara or a young Terry Eason who are just balls of energy who seem a little undisciplined on the defensive end at times, you get them away from the rim with Zach and, and his decision-making. And I think Xavier can get some good looks in that as well. That's, that's a really good point. I, I, I'm not sure how UC will match up with Zach Fremantle. And I'm not saying they can't, but I don't have the answer right now. I'm, I'm curious to see what John Brandon and his staff come up with. I will say this because because we'll be I'll be neck deep in Bengals post game zooms while the second half of that game is going on. You, you'll probably if you if you see the zoom interview later on and you see my head turned to the right, that's where my TV is usually located when I'm doing zooms. I'll probably be watching more of that than paying attention to the zooms because I think it's going to be a fun game. <laughs> it, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, this is one where you could convince me of anything. Yeah, right. No, exactly. Anything blowout either way. I'd say okay, I could see it. Really good game either way. Quite possible. Rock fight, yep. High scoring game where both of them shoot well, yep. Anything. It, anything goes in this one, in my opinion. I, I do not have many preconceived notions about what to expect from these two teams. Let me ask you uh, another quick question here about the two. Uh, if you have the first pick in a fantasy draft with just the players from these two teams, who are you taking first? First in a fantasy draft? I'm taking Zach Fremantle. I would too. Yeah, I think I think that's a clear number one. And then who do you go with the second pick? UC fans are going to hate this. I think I'm taking Paul Scruggs. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty obvious though because who's the who's the best player on UC's team? It's Keith, Keith Williams. Keith Williams, right? Right, and he's he'd be he, my starting five if he had a starting five from the two for sure. Sure, but when you look at his career, uh, last year he almost did what Paul Scruggs did at the AAC level for the first time. But Paul Scruggs has basically been the same exact player for the last two years. Right. So Paul right. Scruggs as a sophomore and a junior did a little bit more than Keith Williams while playing in the Big East. I don't think that's a question between who you'd take between those two right now. And Keith may have a better season than Paul this year, but he has to prove that first. So, yeah, I think Paul's number two. And then, then you get into the question, I think Keith Williams is probably three just because he's proven more than Kiki Tandy, and he gives you the defense too. Uh, but I think that's a question between who you take between those two. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I just, just again, watching the, all the games and the one game obviously was not on TV. I watched a little bit of the stream of that. Um, I've just been blown away by how, how skilled Zach Fremantle is offensively. I mean, blown away and maybe I shouldn't be, but I, I he's just been impressive because it's been a wide range of, of stuff uh, running the floor, pick and pop threes coming off screens for threes, taking a guy, I mean, last night, even 10, and it's Tennessee Tech, and I get that, but I thought he had a really patient move last night where he caught the ball maybe 10 feet off the off the lane, 
backed the guy in patiently, backed him in patiently, kept looking around for double teams. And then when he felt like he got deep enough, just rose over and banked it off the glass as sweet as you could do it. And it's just that, that wide range, that, you know, the face up eight foot jumper, which nobody likes anymore in this game. He just, he, he never misses that shot. And so I, his, his range of skills has just blown me away. Yeah. He's, he's been fun to watch so far this year and you saw it coming last year. Uh, apparently anyone who got to see him this off season was well aware of what was about to happen because we heard crazy amounts of praise in the off season for him. And you know how that goes. Sometimes it's like, right. Well, you know, they, they say that about everybody, but with free it was reaching ridiculous proportions. So it, it, he has pretty much lived up to the hype though. I would say no doubt, no doubt. All right, let's go ahead and make a pick. Who do you have in this shootout? Who do you think wins? What do you think the spread is from Vegas? First of all, do, we yeah, haven't you- seen one yet. You and I talked a little bit about this. I, I think we disagree. I, I'm going to go Xavier four and a half. Yeah, that surprises me, especially four and a half. And, and I think just because they have in the number of games under their belt, um, I think Bradley is a good team. I, I, I don't discount. I know everybody hates the fact that they had to win a slugfest. The EKU game concerned me a little bit. Uh, but their style of play is just so helter-skelter that I think they're the kind of team that when, when they play a major, they can do what they just did, and they can also lose to a bad OVC team that beats the press and has a layup line all night. So, I mean, they're just a goofy style of play. Uh, but it's, a, it's a, I like what A.W. Hamilton's doing. I think it's, it's smart. Um, you know, it seems like a fun style to play, and um, I think they're going to be, be a nice team in the OVC. And then Tennessee Tech was completely overmatched for sure. Um, I just think the fact that UC only has the one game under its belt Again, if you look at it, um, I don't want to say they struggled to win, but they were down in the second half by at least a margin that scared you for a little bit if you're a UC fan. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go X four and a half. Yeah, that surprises me. The line from Ken Palm right now, he has it as UC as a three-point favorite. I, I'm i guessing it's going to be UC by like two and a half. And the main reason I say that is because I would imagine they don't know what to do with either of these teams Well, yet, that's a fair in terms point. of picking a spread. So I think they go two and a half points for UC being at home. And, uh, you know, Xavier's one, one last year's, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's what I'm going with is, is that they, they are going to give UC the benefit of the doubt for being at home and it'll be two and a half. I think I'm with you though. I think I'd roll with Xavier slightly. The five games under their belt is a big deal. We just mentioned that they probably have the two best players, if not the three best players on the court in this game, I'll go with Xavier in a close one. I'm going to say like, 67 64 i was gonna go 69 64 wow <laughs> as soon as you started to roll out to 60 i'm like don't do 69 please don't do 69 <laughs> well because I, I, I set the spread at four and a half so I, I got xavier winning by five so i'm going to save your 69 64 i mean we're, we're i think we're pretty close to that range nice. that we feel it's a game in the 60s and but you're right you can see this getting into the mid to high 70s and i can see it barely getting to 60 yeah oh i mean like if, if you told me UC was going to win 82 to 60, I would be like, I could see that. I mean, there's a scenario in which that could definitely happen. And if you were going to tell me, you know, Xavier won 54 to 48, I could easily right. see that happening. You know, I mean, anything is possible in this game. Just we don't know much about these teams right now, to be quite honest. No, even though Xavier does have the five games under their belt, we, we just don't. Well, and the funny thing is you were talking about, and it won't matter for this game as much, but you were talking about Travis Steele getting the opportunity to kind of see what he's got, figure out his rotations, everything. Well, he's about to get through, thrown through a whirlwind here in the next week because it sounds like not only is he getting Colby Jones and CJ Wilcher back right. from the contact tracing protocol that they've been under for the last seven days on all five games that they've played so far, but he's also about to get Ben Stanley and Adam Kunkel eligible right away 
who have been sitting out due to the one-year transfer sit-out rule. But the NCAA is saying, we're just going to let everyone eligible, apparently, on December 16th when they reconvene. At least that's that's the word right now, according to reports. So Yeah, and it'll be interesting then how he has to retool that rotation because that suddenly takes what, what's now – I don't know if it's a four state man rotation. I think Deontay miles has probably deserved the minutes he's gotten, but then it takes you, does that take you to a 10 man rotation? And then what does that do to some of these other guys? I mean, it, it gives you better players certainly, but it also changes the rotation and the dynamic a ton. It does. It makes it harder to keep guys fresh and and in the mix and happy. Certainly, you right. know, with everyone transferring and, and next year you won't even have the sit out rule. So people will be able to transfer and play right away. It's it's a threat. I mean, you have to keep guys happy, and Travis Steele and his staff are certainly going to earn their money if they have 12 guys eligible who can all contribute. And no that's, the, that's the thing is there aren't clear-cut guys on this team who can't play. All of them have made a little bit of an impact when they've gotten their chance so far, and they expect all the guys sitting out to be impact players too. So it'll be it'll be fun to watch when, when he has a, a full roster here and how they divvy up those minutes. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Skinny, we also got two more looks at John Calipari's Wildcats over the last week. UK fell to Richmond 76-64 on Sunday and then lost to Kansas 65-62 on Tuesday night. This is the first time UK has started a season 1-2 and two since the last year of the Billy Gillespie era in 2009. Ugh. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, are you more concerned about this UK team than others in recent history, or is this a typical UK team under Cal that is figuring things out with a young roster and by the time they hit midseason form, they'll be fine. I, I would, tr- the track record would make me lean towards the latter part of that. But the fact that I, you know, I, I, I think I'm wrong in what I said last week. I thought this team was going to shoot the ball and yet Terrence Clark and DJ Boston have yet to make a three. I believe, I think they're over 19 combined on the season. And I, that's I don't a major think, problem. I don't think that's dumb luck. I think that's, you just can't shoot the ball. Um, I don't think that's a slump. I I just, I think you can't shoot the ball. Now, does it mean they're never going to make a three? Of course it doesn't, but that's alarming to me. Um, The point guard play has not been great. I think Davion Mintz is probably better suited to play the two, but um, you know, Askew hasn't been great. So he's got to play the one. Um, They haven't settled there. Um, They probably haven't played through Olivier Saar enough. And maybe they start to do that a little bit more as he evolves. But the problem is, um, and I think this is what's hurt, hurt this team specifically they really didn't get a chance to ease into this. I mean, yeah, Moorhead was an ease into, but this wasn't like you got a couple of exhibitions. You know, you get the the, the November bye games. You, you have a tough game like Kansas is always mixed in. They play in one of those events. And then the December schedule ramps up. Well, guess what? You ended up in game two playing a really good team in Richmond. Um, and, and you know, it maybe it, it sucked for Kentucky. They didn't get a chance to play Detroit on Friday night to get another confidence boost under their belt, but they didn't. So they got Richmond. And then Kansas, I don't think Kansas is really all that good, to be honest with you. You lose there. And then, man, you look up, and their December schedule is an utter beast. Now, they do have Georgia Tech next, and that, that's that's more than winnable. But they got to win that. But they got to win that, yeah. I mean, because after that, you got Notre Dame at UCLA, and UCLA hasn't played great, but neither has Kentucky, at Louisville, and then they hop right into the SEC. Hmm. I'm not worried about this UK team. Definitely not yet. But – once again, like you mentioned, I mean, you're back in the same spot you're always in with the Cal team. And, and part of it is just that for these elite schools that have so much of the roster turnover, where every year or two, your guys are going pro. So you're always you're always relying on freshmen and sophomores. It's hard to have a really good shooting team because freshmen just don't shoot the ball well. I mean, OK, you have your Jamal Murray's occasionally that shoot 40 percent right. from right. three at, on volume. But that's pretty rare, and that's a special dude who became an elite shooter in the NBA almost instantly. What did Malik Monk? Malik Monk was a pretty good shooter. 
Yeah, yeah, but, he but, was. But, but your point's well taken. You're right. Your point's I, I mean, well taken. Across yeah. the country, though, right. it's not no, just no, at Kentucky. Right. Yeah. A lot of these guys struggle as freshmen or at least can't be relied upon all the time consistently to be a go-to shooter from the outside. And, and I think that's part of what you see. And this UK team, they need, I think they need Davion Mintz to be a factor here because he too. can shoot from the outside. And Devin, I ask you, maybe the higher upside point guard as you look at him right now, but, and I'll be honest. I mean, you know, he reclassified Rick and, and technically should be playing the senior year of high school. That's a pretty big jump from senior year of high school to playing division one, major college basketball. I'm sorry. No matter how good you are, oh, I think that's is. still a huge jump to make. Yeah, it is. And I mean, he, he looks okay. It's not like he's been terrible, no, by right. any stretch the right, but, it, but, it, but it's a huge jump to make. Yeah, it, it is. And, Again, I just, it's not that Davion Mintz is great. I had questions about how well he would work out at UK's level because I didn't think he set the world on fire when he's in the Big East playing for Creighton. And, you know, not that the SEC is a better conference than the Big East, but just UK has more talent in the roster. So I didn't know if he would be able to carve out a role and get minutes on I, that I UK think, team. I think not. his role is as a two guard, as a, as a, as a kickout shooter. I really well, do. That's the thing. I think he has to be on the floor. I mean, especially if you're not going to play Dante Allen much, which they haven't played him a lot so far. Because he's, he's, he's arguably their best shooter, but he's a liability on the other end at this point. Yeah. And he's a freshman too. So right. uh, Davion Mintz has the experience. He's proven he can shoot, you know, at, at a high level before on volume attempts. They need him to be a guy that, that is a reliable kickout shooter because the length and athleticism they have on defense is something else. Isaiah Jackson is a freak. He's been great. A total freak. So I think they'll figure, figure it out. I think defensively, this could be one of the best teams Cal's had going back to the championship team with Anthony Davis and Mike Wicked-Gilchrist. And that so, hasn't been the issue so far. They, they, I mean, they were pretty good defensively against Richmond after I went, went back and watched. They just can't make a shot. Yeah, and Richmond makes it tough. Richmond is now ranked ahead of them. They're ranked 19th in the country. Yeah. Kentucky is 20th. So that was a legit team with a veteran squad that can really get down and guard you. And when UK wasn't going to be able to make shots from the outside in that game, Richmond wasn't going to give up any gaps. I mean, there was nowhere to drive the ball against that defense. So Rick, Rick Kentucky, Kentucky has a break between playing Notre Dame on Saturday the 12th and UCLA on Saturday the 19th. In fact, they've got a bunch of breaks. They, they're playing... Um, uh, Sunday against Georgia Tech, then they don't play again till the next Saturday, then they don't play again till the following Saturday, then they don't play again till the Saturday after that. You know what they need in between? A get-right game. And you know who the get-right opponent of get-right opponents is? Greenville. Oh. Green Greenville, which gave up 170 points last night to Illinois State, coming off a game in which they gave up 170 points to Murray State. Get Greenville on that schedule, baby. Well, I thought you were going to go with Camp Cal. Or in a tweak, well, maybe. Yeah, just going to be a do tweak. Camp Cal, a tweak, and then Greenville. And then Greenville, and yeah. Never lose again. Yeah, exactly. Greenville, you'll, you'll see, you'll, it'll be a layup line, but they'll start to see the ball go in the basket. Confidence level will go through the roof, and they'll take off from there. So, yes, Camp Cal, followed by Greenville, the get-right game, and then the SEC, and you're off and running. <laughs> That's really all you need. Uh, any other quick thoughts on the college basketball landscape before we move on? I, I will say, I mean, obviously we've, we've had some cancellations, but I think there's been some fun early season matchups. Um, got a chance last night to watch until I fell asleep because I was completely exhausted. I watched a chunk of, uh, of, of Illinois Baylor, Gonzaga, West Virginia. I mean, West Virginia stood toe to toe with the number one team in the country. And I think, I think you'll agree. I think they're legit number one team in the country. I mean, they've yes. got so many offensive weapons. It's absurd. Um, and West Virginia played them toe to toe. So yeah. terrible uh, yeah, injury I, for Gonzaga. Yes, correct. 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 Um, but no, I, I think, the, I think we were off to a, at least we're off to a start and I don't want to say it's a flying start and I don't know if it's going to be a stop and a start or a start and a stop, 
Um, because you're going through it with NKU. I mean, they were supposed to play Butler on what sa- Sunday, Saturday? Yeah, Sunday, same time as the shootout. So it right. worked out well for me it there. It did work out for you. Yeah. yeah, but again, you know, that game got postponed. I think we're just I think we're living honestly day to day with it, to be quite frank. Yeah, that totally it's become clear that no one has an idea of what's going to happen next in terms my, of the scheduling my, department, the coaching department, the SID department. It's unbelievable. Yeah, one of my favorite things from over the weekend was uh, was Jeff Walls, the, the Louisville women's coach, and he's a he's a local product, played at Highlands, played at NKU, and his his sister's the the uh, girls coach at Highlands High School. Um, they were supposed to play UC's women's team on Saturday, but uh, UC I think had to cancel. One of them had to. Oh, UC had to cancel because because of the tweet that Jeff Walls sent out. So I love on it was either Thursday or Friday when he knew the game was canceled, he put out on Twitter. Women's Division One college basketball game, looking for opponent, willing to drive within a two-hour radius, and I just, I just laughed at that because I think that's where we're at. Is coaches taking a Twitter, going, anybody want to play? Well, you know, Mike Bray did the exact same thing. Yeah, somebody else told week. me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, did under, I, I didn't see that, but somebody told me that. Yeah, and and you know, Travis Steele got asked about that in one of the post-game press conferences over the last week, and his answer was interesting because he said. We're not to that point yet, and maybe we won't be doing it over Twitter because Mario Mercurio has some type of app that connects you to other schools who's looking for a game or whatever. And he'll be working off of that probably, but there's the possibility that Xavier gets into big East play. And if they have a game canceled and uh big East office doesn't have another game for them to play, Travis said, there's no reason they might not do the same thing where right. they just put it out there and say, we'll play anyone, any local regional opponent that that can play us on the spot right now. So we can get 13 games in and ensure that we're open to it. So and, I thought that and, was and interesting I, to hear. Yeah. And I don't know if it was by design that Mario did to this early schedule, but I thought it was a, a smart, however it worked out. I thought it was really smart. You play the three game bubble tournament, if you will, against, you know, at least a decent opponent in Bradley. Um, and then you get two teams that can at least bus up. So they, they can honestly make last minute decisions if they had to in, in Eastern Kentucky and Tennessee tech, obviously they both made the trip and for Tennessee tech, they luckily for them to, you know, get a chance to play two games in, in a, in a, you know, 24 hour period without having to, to make a huge trip back and forth. So you come up here, make your two game swing head back. So I thought, I don't know if Mario did that by design because of that, but I thought it was, a, however it worked out, it was really smart. Well, I think it became clear that the Orlando bubble stuff was going to fall apart anyway, but Xavier got out of that stuff early for this exact reason. They said it's going to be hell to try to get 13 games in, and we want to give ourselves the best chance to do that. So we don't want our guys traveling and spending the first two weeks of the season on the road or whatever the case may be. We're going to set up shop at home, get five games in in eight days real quickly like – and uh, hopefully be five and zero at that point. And that's yeah. That's where they're at. It wasn't pretty, and it almost cost them possibly. Maybe that's why they weren't shooting the ball well on the second, third day of the Xavier Invitational, or even on Sunday against EKU or Monday rather against EKU. Yeah. But now you know you're five and zero, and you got UC coming up. So if you win the UC game, all is well, and and everyone's positive. If you lose that game, well, now people are questioning things and and where you're headed. So that's yeah, just the nature I, I, of the. Piece. I thought it was a smart thing. I thought the way they did it was really smart. Yeah, I, I think that was the best case scenario for what you were dealing with this year. All right, let's switch gears here to the football side of things. And Bengals coach Zach Taylor made his first appearance on a very prestigious list this week, Skinny. <laughs> he is on the next coach to be fired odds in Vegas now. He joins the fray at 10 to 1 odds. Adam Gaze is the current favorite at 6 to 5. Here's the full list. You've got Adam yep. Gaze at 6 to 5, Doug Marone at 9 to 4, Matt Nagy at three to one, Anthony Lynn at four to one, Vic Fangio and Zach Taylor at 10 to one, Mike McCarthy at eight to one and Doug Peterson at 20 to one. 
So, Skinny, do you think the odds are too high or too low on Zach Taylor being the next coach in the NFL to be fired? I think they're probably about right. I saw another hot seat list uh, of top fives, and Zach did not make that list. It was basically the names you mentioned um, with Adam Gase topping the list. Anthony Lynn, I think, was fifth. Fangio was fourth. Nagy was third and um, and Doug Marone was two. I think Doug Marone, Doug Marone is gone. Adam Gase is gone. I think those are easy. Um, that actually is kind of easy money to be quite frank. No, I think that's probably right. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I just don't. Um, again, people confuse when I say I don't think it's going to happen with I don't think it should happen. I just don't think it will happen because of this organization. Um, but yeah, 10 to one's probably about right. It's if you're going to make that bet a 20 spot to win 200. Maybe I think I'd spend my 20 bucks on one of the other guys, Nagy at three to one or whatever he was, certainly Marone at nine to four, which is, you know, two and a quarter to one. I, I, I think I'd make my, my $20 put on that and wouldn't put. So if you gave me 20 bucks to bet, it wouldn't be on Zach Taylor. It'd be one of those other guys. Yeah. I think Marone is the guy you bet here because it's, their GM I mean, like you said, canned. Gazer Marone are going to be the next two fired. Yes, I correct. Think. It's going to be one of those two. Um, the, the Jets have waited so long at this point that you almost wonder if Gase isn't going to be the next guy fired. So, I, I mean, Marone, I think, has a legitimate shot to be that guy. With with Zach Taylor, I, I think we've known all along, the Bengals are not firing him during the season. Right, that, that, that part's a fact, yeah. And someone I mean, Doug, will get fired during the season. Yeah, somebody before the last week or two, you're right. I think it'll be it'll probably be Doug Marone um, is, is where I put my money, to be honest with you. I don't yeah. think Nagy gets fired in season either. That's probably true, too. Big Fangio he's just a goof. I mean, he goofed up the quarterback situation because he didn't want to quarantine a guy. That's just moronic. He's done some other moronic things as well. Um, but I don't know if that's John Elway's style either to get the guy gone before the season's over with. Um, yeah, my, my money would not go on Zach Taylor for sure. It would go on one of the top two Gase or Marone. All right. Well, uh, any other Bengals related things here? You got the quarterback situation. Is Brandon Allen still the guy there? Do we expect Brandon Allen to continue to be the quarterback? Yeah, the yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's already been, he was named the starter after the game on Sunday. Um, and, and I don't think there's a whole lot for fans to watch here the last five games. I mean, your guy's obviously getting his knee cut on and that's, that's all you're really worrying about. And you want Zach Taylor gone. So I get all that. And that's where the, the pitchforks and the, in the, in the, in the, the fire sticks are, are, are going towards. But I do think they need to find out if Brandon Allen can play because obviously it's clear Ryan Finley can't. So if Brandon Allen can't over these last few games, you have to be in the quarterback market for a backup in this offseason. So I think that's at least, I don't want to say it's compelling to watch. Um, I think it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. And I guess if, if you want Zach Taylor gone, which many do, and I don't blame you, I mean, I guess you could rate, you, you root for, for a catastrophe. You root for them to lose out finish two 13 and one and, and make it be very hard to sell to the fan base, bringing back a coach and a coaching staff that's four twenty seven and one. So I, I guess that's what you got to look forward to. Uh, all I know is I got to cover these last five games. I got to cover them daily th- through that. And it's, it's, it almost makes me want to gouge my eyeballs out. Yeah. We've been doing those post game podcasts for the first time this season. And which I've liked, I, I enjoyed them too. I, a few people requested we do yep. it. I said, uh, yeah, let's give it a try. It was fun. I, I enjoy watching the Bengals from a fan's perspective, obviously, and you cover them so well that I, oh, I thought that'd be great. And it, it's been great, but I really – like this past week, I was like, what the hell are we going to talk about? We got through it, and it went okay. But then I was like, how the hell do we replicate no, that I, for a few more weeks? No, it's funny. I, I do a uh, that fifth-quarter analysis piece, and I literally was driving back going – 
man, I don't want to do this. I just don't care. And then I actually buzz through it. And like, usually it takes me about three and a half hours to do. It's usually about 2,800 words. I still got to like 2,400 words. Um, and it only took me about an hour and 45 minutes. Cause I'm like, you know what? Sometimes when you just do stuff where you just don't care, you can just buzz through it. And I just didn't care. Now I took pride in, in what I wrote and I took, you know, I want to make sure it was grammatically correct. And I know you read behind me and all that stuff, but it's like, I just don't care what I'm putting down on paper at the moment or on the web at the moment. And, and that's why I can think, what am I going to do over the last five weeks? Am I really going to analyze Brandon Allen or the lack of pass rush again, or the fact that William Jackson sucks? I mean, what, I mean, all, all things we know. And it's really hard to fake conversations about that. Yes. Stuff. Like you can yes. fake some information, like you're writing a book report for school and, and that's your, you know, your piece for the week, your column or your article. But it's pretty hard to get on and do a podcast about something that you don't care about and that's uninteresting. And because because you know the fan base at this point. Well, I mean, do you really care if they beat Miami or not? Deep down, other than a, a handful of, of well, really, really, I, I really think a lot of people, fans. I think a lot of people care the other way. They they right. yeah they would care if they did win because they want them to lose. I think most people want them to lose out. I mean, for two, two reasons: two, you want to ensure that Zach Taylor gets fired, and you want to ensure the highest draft pick possible. Barring if I had a bet on the game on this Sunday. I would tell you this much at three o'clock, my TV's going over to the crosstown shootout. If I'm just a fan. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, you know, I, it just is 100%. And it, it sucked for the shootout to be going up against NFL football, but from a Bengals perspective in this city, if, if you're even remotely a fan of either of these two college basketball teams, there's no decision to be made. It's easy. I mean, you're right. not going to lose any viewership in this city. It, it would really suck if the Bengals were eight and three and, and, and compelling, right? Because then you would have to make a really difficult choice. You'd be flipping like a crazy person. Fortunately, that will not be the case this year. It's so, agreed. Well, maybe the shootouts lost its luster. Who knows? Uh, the top seven teams in the college football playoff rankings remain unchanged Tuesday as Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State continue to occupy the top four spots with Cincinnati at number seven. So, Skinny, uh, are you good with the current top four of the CFP rankings? What do you think about those before we get to UC and Ohio State? I just, I, I, I guess I'm okay with it for right now, but I just can't see if if Ohio State doesn't play this weekend and or next weekend, um, they're not getting in the Big Ten championship game. Although the Big Ten is needs to reconsider that, and maybe it will. And I know there's a report that it's considering that. Um, of, of putting in the Big Ten championship game. But if if we come to the end with Ohio State having played five games and Cincinnati having played 10, I, I'm sorry. I got to take Cincinnati. And that uh, and and it's just it's just not enough of a body of work. Um, yeah, I know fans can argue, well, Ohio State's better. Says who? Says you? I mean, last year, definitively, they played each other. They killed them. Um, you know, this is not the same Ohio State team as a year ago. You lost Chase Young and, and Jeff Okuda off that defense, and it shows. Um, it's just not a very it's still obviously a very dynamic offense. But I just the the body of work to me doesn't I mean who who will you see have beat or, or or Ohio State have beaten? Indiana? Okay, I'll give you that. But my God almighty, the Indiana rolled up six hundred plus yards and forty two thirty five was the final. It's not like they dominated Indiana. Well, and I think Indiana's probably your best argument for UC being this being a new year and last year's results not factored right, in. Right, exactly. That, last year Indiana got blasted. This year they 51, gave fifty one ten. Yeah, right. 51-10 last year. So very similar to what happened to UC last season when they played Ohio State. So it is possible. You know, yes. Ohio State is not nearly the same team they were, and Indiana and Cincinnati both in the same boat in the fact that they are much improved, in my opinion, from a season ago. So I, I do agree with Cincinnati fans on that fact that it should not be factored in what they did last season against this Ohio State team. Uh, the Buckeyes are 4-0. You need six games to qualify for the Big Ten Championship, like you said, but there is no minimum 
for the college football playoff. That's correct. I just think it's hard to value four and zero against bad competition over some of the, like the resume of UC where that's the one thing that's been put out there recently. When you start looking at who these teams have played, UC is the only team in the top seven who, whose opponents have a winning record. Even everyone else. I didn't even even know that stat. That's a great stat. Yeah. Everyone else, you add them up the overall record and, and yeah, I get it. So, you know, they're, they're playing the AAC and, and not the big, but it's still, these teams are legit, and Ohio State hasn't played anybody yet, like you've mentioned. Indi- just Indi- Indi- I think I think Indiana when Penix is healthy, and obviously he's out now. I think they're legit. I think they're a legit top ten to top fifteen team, just because I, they're so good offensively. But I but totally agree that, with that. Right. But that's not much of a difference from UC no. beating a, you know one of the the top twenty teams from the AAC. In my no, opinion. I agree. Like, I agree with you. Yes, uh, I think that's pretty comparable competition at this point. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like. I think Ohio State should be eligible without playing six games, but I think you have to really value that or devalue their overall body of work if they haven't played more games by that point. And I think it's fascinating that a lot of this is going to depend on them having to play Michigan because there is zero chance that Michigan is going to do them favors if they don't have to. No, agreed. I think the other other crux in it, though, is is I think you need Texas A&M to lose to Auburn. I just do. Or maybe look ugly if they beat Auburn. Um, I just, them already being ahead of them and not having to play in the sec championship game because Alabama's already beaten them. And, and I know they're going to look and go, well, yeah, they're only losses to arguably the, not even arguably the best team in the country. Uh, that's still a pretty good football team. And I think they are, I, I don't think they're great. I think UC is just as good. And if they play 10 times, I think it'd be honestly, I think they'd each win probably five times. I think they're both, you know, both good teams. Uh, and so that's the, the other one. I mean, it's, it, it, it's in theory, and this is where you get to the argument of you should have put eight teams in, you know, you could have a very easy scenario of two SECs. Cause I don't think Florida beats Alabama, but if they do, then there's two right there. They're going to be in, yep. but I think you're going to end up having two SEC teams in, in, in probably A&M and Alabama and two ACC teams in Clemson and Notre Dame in and everybody else on the outside looking in. That means the big 10 is shut out. The big 12 is shut out. The PAC 12 is shut out. Why would they not go to bat as commissioners and go, Whoa, let, Hey, hang on. We're all getting cut out of the mix here. Let, let's let's get to this 18 format with five conference champions and three at large. I just don't know why everybody, why that seems so freaking hard. Yeah. I don't understand that either. It seems like a no brainer. The man, that's interesting to think though. Like if you, if you did lock the big 10 out this year, does that start changing? Because this and year under, is so unique. How about, an under, how about an undefeated Big Ten team possibly in Ohio State, and, right? And, and I just don't think that happens. Even if the scenario uh, you talk about plays out, I don't think they keep Ohio State out. If they uh, only uh, play uh, four games, Rick, I, I got to be honest with you. That's they're going to get to five. The, the Big they Ten. probably it, are. Worst case scenario, the Big Ten will set a game up for. They've already talked yeah. about pulling Maryland off their game. Well, but hear me out on this. And I, and I was listening. Um, uh, oh, I can't think of her name. Who I like a lot from ESPN. She made a point that, that was brought up to her. She goes, yeah, that sounds great. But does that mean the other team is going to say, sure, we'll go play? Doesn't mean they're going to say we're going to go play. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily, but again, if the if the other alternative is the Big Ten is getting shut out of the college football playoff altogether, I would imagine they're going to band together and do what needs to be done to try to get Ohio State in. Unless it's Michigan. The, I, unless it's Michigan. Everyone I else, con- I think, will try to help out. Oh, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, it, it's one of those where, I mean, if you're if you're Maryland, I mean, maybe you do want to go play that game, but what if you just, you just go, why are we going to go there and take our beat? They will take it for $500,000. Well, that might be the case. Might might secure the bag with Tua's little brother and then go up there and knock Ohio State out of the playoffs themselves. Money always talks. Anyway, it'll be – I mean, 
it sucks that this year is going the way it is, but it has created some fascinating scenarios to watch yeah. play out over the next few weeks. No question. No question. So we'll keep an eye on that as we get to our betting segment where I just continue to scuffle along. I am f- I was five and five last week. I am now 59, 76 and three overall. Just absolutely horrible. You're making good money if you're you're fading me. Skinny, eight and two last week. Pretty nice. good. Pretty nice. good. You were 71, 63, and three overall. Not bad. And uh, this week, Miami and Kent State got banged due to COVID, and Cincinnati had the week off already. So we'll start this one on Saturday at noon. There's no Thursday night NFL game, too, by the way. That is correct. So we'll start this one on Saturday at noon. Ohio State is at Michigan State. The Buckeyes are a 24-point favorite, and the total on that one is 59 in the hook. I'm going to take Michigan State off that win over Northwestern. I think it's a little bit of a confidence boost. Um, Again, the Ohio State defense, I know this Michigan State offense isn't very good, but they did put up 29 on Northwestern, and Northwestern's been playing really good defense. Um, Ohio State wins it, and then they probably win it by a couple of touchdowns, and that feels like it's going to be a couple of touchdowns. I'll go go Ohio State 38-21. So a couple of touchdowns plus. So Michigan State, and what was the total? 59 and a half. So you are I'm going, right I'm going under. I'm going under yeah. Ohio state in the under. All right. I mean, well, I'm sorry. Uh, Michigan. Michigan, state, Michigan yeah. Yeah. Michigan, yeah, Michigan state, state, state in the under. Um, I just, I mean, not that you're way off here, but I don't see Ohio state scored under 40 points. I mean, I, I feel that way against almost anybody. And this Michigan state team isn't very good. I'm going to go 45, 17. So we're pretty close, but I think Ohio state does cover the number and it goes over. So, uh, fairly similar scores, but very different in the results there. I'm OSU and over your Michigan state and the under, and that takes us to Saturday night at seven 30 South Carolina is at Kentucky. The wildcats are an 11 and a half point favorite, believe it or not. 47 and a half is the total skinny. I know it's South Carolina, but should UK be favored by 11 and a half over anybody? Yeah, I don't think over anybody I'm with you. Um, uh, I, I, you know, They've gone through the gauntlet, obviously, you know, three of the last four weeks they've had to play Georgia, then Vanderbilt in between, and then Alabama and Florida. And look, I thought, I mean, I thought they played great for a half against Florida. They played great for a quarter plus against Alabama. I think they have the potential to play with those teams for some period of time, but offensively, they've just been awful. Now, South Carolina is dreadful. They fired Will Muschamp a few weeks ago. I do think Kentucky gets the win, but I, they, to right now, they just, I mean, they, they couldn't cover against Vandy. Um, they seem to have letdowns in second halves, um, of games. So I'm going to go Kentucky 31, 24. So I'm going to go Kentucky and the over in this one. Uh, you, you actually have, I'm sorry, South, South Carolina, Carolina, the over. And, yeah. Excuse yeah, me. Sorry. And the over, which is exactly where I'm at on it as well. I think Kentucky wins the game. They, they, not that it matters this year, but they historically there's, do well against South Carolina for some reason. Especially yeah, and there's been there's been, there's been some grousing among players. They obviously had the Joseph kid who opted out and decided to get ready for the NFL draft. The the defensive back who leads the SEC in interceptions, but also has made some dumb penalties and dumb plays at times. Um, I don't want to call it addition by subtraction, but um, again, just because you intercept passes doesn't make you a great corner or a great defensive back. Sometimes they just fall to your lap. Um, he's made some good plays. He's been okay. But, you know, there's also been some talk of players looking forward to playing in a bowl game too. So if that, if those guys outweigh the others, then, you know, maybe Kentucky rolls South Carolina, but the, the numbers of late just don't show that. I, I just don't see it. Yeah. So South Carolina in the over for both of us here, but uh, this is, this is the exact reason why I quit betting on UK this year, because I don't feel good about this one either way. I would bet yeah, South no, Carolina, but then UK will win by 25 points or something. So no, you're right. All right, 
Sunday at one o'clock, we've got Bengals in Miami playing the Dolphins. The Dolphins are an 11 and a half point favorite, just like the Wildcats. And the total is 42 in that one. Yeah, that, that number's too big for me. Um, I think another week for Brandon Allen, he's going to play a little bit better. I don't think he has to play a lot better. I thought he actually did, did some good things on Sunday. Not great things, some good things and looked competent at times. They didn't run the ball great. Um, I thought the defense did some good things at, at times as well. Um, Bengals don't win, but that 11 and a half number is a big one for me. I'm going to go Dolphins. I'm going to, I'm going to put this right on the number Dolphins. No, nah, I won't either. Dolphins 24 Bengals 16. So Bengals cover and it stays under the 42 point total. All right. So you got a couple more field goals on there than I do, or maybe it's a Randy Bullock missed extra point. Could be. Um, I'm going Dolphins 24 Bengals 10. The Bengals, you know, tied for second in the NFL against the spread this year, by the way, at seven and yes. four ATS. So t- taking the Bengals to cover the spread here is not a bad play, but I've, I'm kind of like chasing at this point because I've been betting against them so much in our pick them and losing that I feel like at some point, especially when you have freaking Brandon Allen playing quarterback for you, it's uh, going to work out in my favor. So I, I definitely think the under is the play here for me, though, if I'm going to bet on anything because the Bengals are averaging. 12 points per game over the last three games. And the total has gone way under in each of the last two since Burrow got hurt. So I think that's what I'd be looking to if I was actually going to make a play yeah. on this game. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the yeah. 40, anything in the 40s right now feels like an underplay for the Bengals. Yeah, I would agree. So you got Bengals and under. I got Dolphins and under. And that brings us to Sunday, 8.20 p.m. Broncos at Chiefs. Chiefs are a 13.5-point favorite. Total is 50.5. It's funny. I, a, a buddy of mine who, who who likes to make a wager now and again said he he read somewhere that if the 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 Broncos were in the same scenario this week as they were last week with the no quarterbacks and having to play the wide receiver, that he read that the line would have been twenty nine and a half. Can you oh, imagine twenty nine and a half an for an NFL, NFL game? game? And I think part of it is you know the Chiefs are scoring thirty on anybody, and with that kid at quarterback chances are they're not going to score. So I could see that line being 29 and a half and the chiefs actually covering. And that's why I come back to this at 13 and a half. It feels like they're gifting you a Kansas city victory here. Um, I'll go chiefs 45 Broncos 14 chiefs cover easily. In my opinion, and it goes over the total. The chiefs offense is just absurd. I don't care who they play. They, they're, they're, they're scoring 30 plus on anybody. And against teams like Denver, they're scoring 40 plus. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. The last time they played Denver when Denver was not good, but at least a functioning team still. It was 43 to 16. Since then, they've scored 35, 33, 35. And then last week, they put up 27 against a very good Tampa Bay defense. So, I mean, yeah. They threw for 350 in the first half. Right. They are a machine on offense. I'm not as even confident as you are that they'll, they'll put up points, but I'm going 35 to 13. So, that's Chiefs and the under for me, actually. I I have the number staying just under, which uh, that might be a little risky. Uh, but that's more so about the Broncos not being able to score it in anything. All right, we've got a doubleheader on Monday. Five o'clock, we've got football team playing the Steelers. Steelers are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 43 in the hook. I, I love football team. I'm not going to lie to you. I think the Steelers are beat up. They could use some time off, and the fact they're playing on a, on a, on a, a short week again from Wednesday to Monday, you know, Pouncey may not be back because he's on the COVID list, but Dupree's now out. Um, they're, they, they need some time off. Um, I think the Steelers find a way to win to stay undefeated. I think that means something to them, but I think this is an ugly game. Give me Steelers 16, football team 13, so it's a football team and the under. And the 43.5 seems extraordinarily high here. Yeah, that feels high to me as well. Um, I think 
they can get to maybe 40-ish, but I don't know about 43 and a half. I'm going to say Steelers 24, football team 17. So I'm with you. I think football team covers the number just barely and um, that stays under the total. So, yeah, I just think the Steelers need a break. I I think they need a break and I think it's going to cost them here at some point. I think that sounds about right as well. So Monday night, 8.15 p.m., we've got Bills at 49ers. Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 48 in that game. It's an interesting one because um, I was all over the Rams last week, and they cost me in a Survivor League and uh, was very disappointed that the Niners were able to win. Niners are, obviously, Niners are actually a team without a country. They're going to be playing in Arizona, so this game is, is being played at a technically a neutral site. Um, you know, I, I've not been a huge believer in Buffalo all year, and yet they just continue to roll up win after win after win. I, I think they get the win here. I think they're the better team. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go Buffalo 24-20. So give me the Bills and the Bills outright and the under. I like the Bills to pull this one off. They they are they are the two-and-a-half-point favorite, by the way. So they got, they got to cover that. Um, I've got – Bills oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah, correct. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I still got them covered. So, yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, you got it. And I'm in the same boat on the four point spread, just a little bit higher. So it hits the over. I'm going to go Bills 28, 40, 49ers 24. I think this is a close one, but I'm with you. I think the Bills have found ways to pull those close ones out all year. So I'm going to keep rolling with them. And for the record, there is a game on Tuesday, Cowboys Ravens, but there's no line set on that just because of the Ravens issues. So that's why we are not, uh, not making a play on that game. Yeah. Plus, who knows who's ever going to play for those teams. It's a good good point. It's a good point. Very good point. All right, let's get to our favorite segment of the podcast. Time for Ask Skinny Anything. And we will start off with some sports questions, as we typically do. The first one is, what does Skinny think is going to happen this March when a team has a player test positive for COVID in the middle of the conference tourney or NCAA tourney? Forfeits? Will this be the first year the losing team moves on due to positive tests from the winning team? Yeah, I, I think that's probably what's going to take place. I mean, it, once you get a bracket set, I think bottom line is if a team has to has to not be able to play, you just they forfeit and the other team moves on. I, I think that's just the way you have to live with it. I, I can't imagine you can keep moving the schedule around and around and around. I think once we get to March and um, that starts to happen, yeah, I think forfeits happen. What do you think? I don't know what else you can do. Right. Um, but the problem is if someone on the losing team tests positive, and you, they just played your winning team 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago or 72, whatever the case is. It How's that work with contact well, tracing and everything? Are you Legit point. Good? Now, I guess the other part is, are we to the point in March where we have vaccine too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's probably the biggest part of all this, obviously, but there's no way to know that at this point. And I mean, I, I really don't know what you do with like conference tournaments you finish up on a Sunday, you're supposed to be playing on a Thursday and everyone's traveling, you're testing. Like what happens if, I don't know, just a huge swath of teams end up testing positive right before you start the tournament. Then how do you move things around last minute? Do you still play some of the games and not the others? Like, uh, do you start whacking teams and they just forfeit? I mean, that really is a nightmare scenario. I think that's probably what ultimately happens is teams just have to forfeit. Yeah. I, I, I don't know another scenario. You just can't keep moving games around and pushing things around. I mean, yeah. look, if there's a huge outbreak again and we're still not turning the corner by March, I guess in theory, you move the whole tournament back in, in, into April. If you feel like the vaccine is going to eventually help. So I think there's still a lot of uh, questions, but I think if we get to the scenario, this guy's asked or this person's asked, I think you just forfeit. And I'm sorry that it happens that way. 
Yep, I think you're right. All right, another sports question here. Historically, if you could switch out one franchise in totality with one based in Cincinnati, what would you pick? Reds or Bengals or bring back an NBA team even for whom? Yeah, I, I like I, I don't know about the NBA part of it. I know it sucks, but um, so so I get to take a take a team from another town and take one of our teams out. Yep, you get to take any franchise you want, and you get to sub them out for a Cincinnati yeah, franchise. People are gonna people are gonna absolutely hate this. Give me the Steelers franchise, put them here with the way they're run, and take the Bengals the way they're run, and put them in Pittsburgh and let them enjoy that misery. I would certainly take that. I would definitely take it if we could change the colors of the jerseys, especially. I'm not yeah, big on the yeah. Bumblebee look. Yeah, but, no, no, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If we're going to swap franchises, let me swap with them. I mean, they are, they are just, that is just a well-run franchise. You may always, hate them, and I get it, but they're, they're well-run, bro. For decades. For decades. I mean, just always well-run. It would be so nice. I would definitely take that as a big Bengals fan. But I think if you gave me my ultimate choice, I would bring the NBA back and the, along the same lines of you going with the, the Steelers. I just be, don't, th- I just don't think it would be popular enough, Rick. I just hey, don't. Hey, guess what? I don't give a because <laughs> this is my choice. <laughs> That's a good I'm call. doing it for me, brother. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll be at the games. They didn't say I have to sell out the games. They just said, okay. which good, would you choose if you good could? Call. That's a and good call. My wish would be to bring the San Antonio Spurs, my favorite NBA team and a well-ran franchise that could actually compete in the playoffs and win championships to Cincinnati that would be my gift to the people. And I would say bringing free agents to Cincinnati might be better than San Antonio, right? Ooh, I don't know. Oh, Riverwalk. Yeah, that's why I, all I ever hear about San Antonio is the Riverwalk. That's the only thing I ever hear about. You know what San, my, my, my wife went on a business trip. That's what Riverwalk's great. I said, what else was there? Oh, well, Riverwalk. What, okay, well, great. Okay, what do you hear nationally about Cincinnati? Chili. That's it. I mean, that's not exactly better than a river walk. I don't. You think. have the that's, rolling hills of Kentucky. You have you have the farmland. No, that's land that's of, what yeah. you say about it. No one else nationally mentions that when okay. you mention. It's like us mentioning San Antonio and the River Walk. It's the you only have, thing you know is chilly. You have you have the seven hills of this city that are just fun to go up and look at, overlook the beautiful city. I'm sure San Antonio has. Or you, do you not remember the Alamo? They got things. They, they got, got things. things. Yeah, they got things. All right. Well. Uh, what was your favorite? Well, we probably should have asked this earlier in the show, but what was your favorite crosstown shootout, Skinny? Uh, I know everybody Question. wants to. I know everybody wants to say the the fight, right? But I, to me, and just because it's an iconic call, it's not because they beat UC, but the Lenny Brown basket when they beat number one UC. It's still the most iconic call, in my opinion. Such a homer call by Andy McWilliams, but just so spot on. It just was. Oh, it's it's great, and I mean that that moment was. So iconic for Xavier. So iconic for Xavier. I mean, it was such a big deal at that time and and their rise as a program too. And then for them to do it again with UC as number one, the the Kevin Fry, Darnell Williams moment. Yes, but uh, still the the call for Andy Mack, for those that maybe never heard, he was the voice of of Xavier basketball and the longtime sports director at at WLW Radio. And I'm going to paraphrase, but but when he made the shot to win it, the, the call was... UC is number one in the country, but number two in their own city. Brown against Burton. Brown starting his dribble. He moves in. He pops up. He shoots. Scores! Lenny Brown! Xavier wins it! The Muskies win it! 71-69! And this the UC is- Bearcats are number one in the country, number two in their own city! 71-69, Lenny Brown on a dribble drive from the left wing, buried it inside the free throw line. Muskies win it, 71-69 over UC. Incredible. Number one goes down on their own floor. It was yeah. just crazy iconic. Yeah, well, it was exactly right. It was funny because 
I, I obviously Andy Mack and and Joe Sunderman who were calling that game together at the time. Joe now the play by play guy was doing right. color at that time. And I've talked to both of them about that call a bunch and we've done it on podcasts and everything. It's funny because Andy tells the story that it was his son who was, I, I don't know if he was playing soccer, if he was just a student or whatever, but he was, he was a college student around that time um, had, had given him the idea for the line that like, Hey dad, you know, if Xavier pulls off the win, you should, you should use this. Like, I did not know that. That's awesome. Something That's awesome. That worked, but yeah. They, so it was kind of his son that came up with the line. And they, so Andy said he gets into the moment and he called all the action because it's that crazy shot. So he's now Lenny Brown hits the shot to send Xavier. Da, da, da. And he takes a pause and Joe is about to get in for a second and he's still green and he's about to say something. And then it hits Andy that he's got that line in his back pocket and he's got to get it out right now. So Joe starts to say like one or two words if you listen to it. And right away, Andy goes, you see us number one in the country, number two in their own city. And it's it's such an iconic call. And it's you hear Joe just kind of laugh at that point of like, I'm just going to shut up and roll with this guy's on fire. That's an awesome backstory. I, I did not know that. That is a fabulous backstory. Yeah, listening to Andy and, and Joe both tell the story is great. I've I made sure when I first started doing this stuff with the podcast, that was one of the biggest things I wanted to to document. And, and both of them were awesome telling the story multiple times for me. So I appreciate that, and I, I always enjoy bringing that one up. But my favorite shootout is the brawl. By the way, I think oh, I've I said knew that, that before. I, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that. I, I knew that was coming. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I loved the lead up to it. I loved Andy Furman getting everybody in the city's head and everyone getting mad at him again. Uh, it was it was just a beautiful thing. Plus, I was so new to all this and just getting involved. Like I, I think I've so I picked up like a thousand Twitter followers that day of the brawl because it was like Cincinnati was the epicenter of all of sports. Yep. For twenty four hours, and there's only you know three or four actual beat writers covering the two teams at that time. Right, so right, that's right. I mean, you're, if you're putting stuff out, people are eating it up and, and people from all over the country are replying to it. It was just a lot of fun, especially when I was that young to be involved in a story like that. And uh, I, plus I just liked the nonsense of it. I thought it was hilarious. It's still, I know you did. I, I yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to watch the polio video three or four times before the shootout. Oh, starts. For heaven's just, sakes. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you, you like to get under the skin. I do realize that <laughs> only one family. I am all for UC and John Brandon. Now I just had a thing for one family. I'm with you. All right. Uh, is skinny superstitious? Yes, I, is, I am. What is the go-to change it up move when your team is performing badly? What is part of the good luck routine? Okay. So, so usually um, for me, I have about, uh, we have kind of different colored um, three quarter zips that I'll wear to coach in. And I have two grays and two reds. And so if I wear the, the, if I wear the red, it's always a black beechwood um, shirt underneath t-shirt underneath um, and then usually black pants or, 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 uh, or gray pants. So if I lose in that outfit, I usually will change, change the, the, the pullover. So at that point I change that, but if I win, it's gotta be the exact same, same thing. It's gotta be the same black undershirt, same pullover, same pants, same socks. Even I, I, I know that's the dumbest thing ever. It really and truly is. Um, and I've always had it interesting. People talk about superstitions because fans are superstitious, right? And for fans, I don't think you should be because you can't control it, but you're saying to me, okay, well, why, why can you be so? Cause I can control some things in a game. I, and I, that's what I think for players, any player that's superstitious, if that helps motivate them or give them confidence, I'm all for that. I just think for a fan being superstitious, you, 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 you can't control anything in the moment. 
for me, I think I can get, maybe it changes my mindset. I got it. My new, I'm changing my outfit because we lost in the last one. I got my new one on. I feel good. I'm going to make better decisions tonight. So yes, I am to answer that question. I am absolutely no rabbit foot or lucky quarter or whatever, but yeah, from a, from a close perspective. Yes, absolutely. I'm not in on the like things you do on purpose. Like you said, like the, the rabbit's foot or something that you intentionally bring with your buy. But I was big on, especially when I was actually playing sports. Like I remember one time uh, it was one of those summer tournaments or double header type days where you're just playing a bunch of games and like, you know, your parents are there for the first one. And they're like, Hey, we got other stuff to do with our time today. You got five <laughs> brothers and sisters. Like we'll see you in a couple hours, you know? So it's like, Hey, go grab food with somebody else or whatever in between games. They give you 20 bucks. Right. And uh, my dad's the type of guy that's going to ask for that change back at the end of the day. So oh, I'm oh, yeah. got no, nowhere to put it with my baseball thing. So I tuck it into my glove. Right. I pitched with like a, you know, 10 or a five or something in my glove that day and the second game. And I was just lights out. So I, after the game, I told my dad, look, like, I know you need that $10 back because of who you are, but I have to keep that in my glove for the next few games until I start pitching poorly because I'm hot. And so that's, that's how I did it is like, it's a, if something weird happened and then I played well, well, then that became a routine thing until it was no longer hot. You and I know a, a baseball coach in this area, high school coach, and we're not going to name names by any stretch. And I think, you know, this story, if you don't, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, his team um, advanced to a state tournament not too long ago. And he decided that he was going to keep <laughs> a certain pair of women's undergarments in his pocket while he coached third base until his team lost. And he did that, I think from the district tournament through and it paid off in, in going to state. So I may or may not have made multiple veiled references at that superstition in yes. articles I wrote for okay. the inquire. Okay. So you're, 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 I thought you, I figured you were aware of it. I am I well aware of it. Uh, yeah. he, I think he may have pulled it out and told me to smell it one time. after. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get that far with him. I don't believe it's possible. Yeah. Uh, he, he is a character unlike any yes. other in yes, local indeed. sports, yes, uh, but yes, yes, that was, that was a great time. And for posterity, for his sake and mine, I wanted to be able to look back on that, that, run they had and, and remember what was going on at that time. So I made references that I don't think the average reader would have gotten, but he and I certainly did. So I, I, that's, that's great stuff. So <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, I am not superstitious. My dad, I, I will say my dad, this is, this is one of my favorites. My dad was a huge Kentucky basketball fan. Um, just, just, he kept score. He's got, I've got, I've got some score books going back to, to the mid to late sixties that I occasionally will go through and go, man, Pete Maravich, holy cow. Uh, my dad kept kept score. That was when all the games were basically on radio. You get an occasional TV game. And he did that until he passed away. In fact, this is no lie. Rick, uh, he had a stroke um, that he suffered during March of 2011. Um, and when I went over to his house to clean some stuff up and he lasted about another week before he passed away, he had already started to pencil in the next game when Kentucky was supposed to play Cornell. And I, I still have that as a treasure. But anyway, he was extremely superstitious during Kentucky games. So I remember once as a five-year-old, six-year-old living in New York, and we could barely get the games on, on, on WHAS out of Louisville. Um, we were living in uh, about an hour outside of, of, of New York City. We lived in a city called Peekskill, home of Elton Brand. Shout out to Elton Brand. Um, and so occasionally the, the audio would go in and out just because we're a long way away. Well, if they were – so I'd sit with my dad while I did it, thinking it was really cool. 
And I, I must have said something about the static. And I think Kentucky might have been losing. So he told me to get the hell out of the room. <laughs> and I remember to this day. So I march upstairs to my room. And you remember the little, you probably don't, the little plastic football helmets. Some people might remember, you used to be able to get them out of gumball machines. They were all oh, yeah. the NFL teams. So I had the full collection. So I remember I went up, grabbed one of those, came downstairs, whizzed it at his head, hit him in the head, left a knot. <laughs> my mother was, was, was in the room close by. He got up to go out. She goes, sit down. You deserved it. <laughs> So he was extraordinarily superstitious. He would during games, he'd have a drink. He was a big vodka and grapefruit juice guy. Oh. He'd have a drink. And if it was in, if it was to the right of him and Kentucky was losing during the next TV timeout, he'd move it to the left. I mean, he was a quirky guy with that. So he would change his pencils. He'd have like eight number two pencils all sharpened. And if they were losing, he'd change the pencil out. So, and I always thought, I said, you know, you have no, and as I got older, I found it more, more, not even quirky. I found it more weird than quirky. I'd say, dad, you, you have no pending on the outcome of this game. You realize that, right? Don't say that. I think I do. Okay. All right. If you, if you think you do, okay, you do. I love the commitment. Yep. I love the commitment to the bit. That's, I mean, that's the same reason like people bet. It's just great to sweat it out and sometimes be mad about. No, stuff. that's like, a good point. You know? It's a great point. Yeah. All right. Finally, I don't know how we got this question or where, where they're going with this, but what is the weirdest smell you've ever smelled? the weirdest smell yeah oh my heavens i thought he was i thought the person who asked it was like had a story behind this or somewhere they were going with it and i asked and all, all they replied with was well i think hospitals are a unique smell but you can yeah, always describe I, as hospital i'm not a big no I, I i will tell you honestly and and when i would take my my daughters my oldest went to villa madonna throughout my youngest went there through middle school and before they could drive occasionally um i would i would take them to school and i just hated taking the interstate at that time of the morning so occasionally I would I would literally drop down to River Road and come up the back way. But I don't know if you realize this, and you probably have driven this way before, Rick. If you drive up the back way and you turn back up to get back up into Villa Hills, you have to go past the sewer district. Oh, and yeah. there'd be times where holy cow, you would you would try as hard as you could to put the, you know, where the inside air is on and you're not getting the outside air in. And if you didn't, if you forgot or didn't do it fast enough, I mean that smell would permeate the car to the point where you'd almost have to vomit. I don't know how anybody works there. I don't. And there's actually a house by there with there's a house. That, there's a farm with like sheep and emus and stuff. I don't know how the hell they live there. <laughs> the poor emus. But can you imagine just opening up the windows on a spring day? Get nice a drive. Breeze. An hour later, all of a sudden, you've just got your house filled with the most rancid oh, ass smell of all time. It's brutal. There are just I'm, times it is brutal. So, yeah, to me, that's the worst smell is, is, is driving past the sewer district. That yeah, that's not a good one. That's that's not good. Hospitals do have a funky smell. Hospitals have a weird smell. Do you know what kipper is? I do not. Do you know what like sardine, like fish in a can type? Oh stuff? sure, sure. That that's kipper. That's, yeah, okay. It's a type okay. of fish in a can. Yep. Uh, we had a teacher, middle middle school teacher at St. Pius the Tenth Elementary in Edgewood, Kentucky, that used to bring kipper into all these rich suburban white kids just to mess with them basically because they'd never experienced poor people food in their lives. Um, and that's the type of thing he did. You know, he's a minimalist type guy, like to hunt and fish and teach. And so he would always bring in Kipper and you didn't have to try it, but he encouraged you to try it, put a little, a little bread, take a bite. It didn't have much to it. It's exactly what you'd expect, but skinny, the smell of this stuff. You talk about it, down. it went up and down the entire hallway at St. Pius, then down to the lower level. I mean, there were third, fourth grade teachers coming up going, oh, damn, it's Kipper Day again. This is 
this, we can't do this anymore. We got to cancel this tradition because you do it once a year for each eighth grade class. And it was, I mean, you know, the day where you uh, do the dissecting of the frogs and you got oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. on the formaldehyde or whatever it's called. It's worse than that. Like in a similar vein, it doesn't smell fishy, really. It's kind of in the similar vein as the, the frogs, but just more pungent. Not good. I, I will I say that the my, my late father-in-law, um, <laughs> when he... He he yeah, he's he's old school German heritage, uh, fought in World War II. Great great guy, but I remember when I was dating um, uh, my my wife. <laughs> this is insane. Uh, occasionally we'd be out in the other room, you know, making out or whatever, and all of a sudden you'd get this smell and be like, "What in the world?" So one point I said, "What is that?" She goes, "Oh no!" So she gets up and I hear her talking. Comes back and I go, "What is that smell?" I said, "I, I don't want to be a jerk here." She goes. <laughs> My dad making a liverwurst and onion sandwich. Oh. <laughs> oh, dude, the combination. And he loved that. I mean, that's just old school, right? Liverwurst itself doesn't smell very good. Then you then you 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 put the you put the the onion with it. Oh my heavens to Betsy, the combination would make your eyes water. Yeah, that sounds just disgusting. Dreadful. 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 So there you go. So I'm I'm gonna go with the sewer district. You go with the kipper. Yeah, Kipper. kipper how about guy. if you how about if you try to eat the Kipper by the sewer district as you're driving by? You know what? The the next time we're able to do a podcast in person, whenever the CDC allows us to do so, let's we do that. Do kipper. Yeah, we'll do, we should we'll have do, a little Kipper lunch. We'll do we'll do we'll, we'll, we'll go to that that little farm with the emus. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> stand there, eat Kipper, and, and take in the the smell from the sewer district. That'll be really fun. Oh, I'm I'm down. That sounds great. All good. All right, Rick, appreciate it as always. We will be back next week following the uh, Crosstown shootout. We'll see what happens there. We'll have our Bengals podcast uh, on Sunday night as well. We think, I don't know how long it'll last. It might be a five-minute podcast. We might we may spend more time talking about the shootout on Sunday night in the pod, Bengals podcast. We'll call it the Bengals shootout podcast. How about I'm, that? I'm fine with that. Maybe more people will listen that way. Exactly. Uh, a reminder that we will probably start our college basketball podcast coming up in January. We did that last year when, when conference action rolled along, and we'll probably uh, roll it back out there with our friend Chad Brendel. Uh, but again, on Sunday, we'll do the Bengals, Bengals shootout podcast because I got a feeling there will be more conversation on the shootout. The for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Sierra. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Oakley edition.